Hi, welcome to the Sun Grove Podcast. We're so glad you decided to click and listen to this video. I hope it's encouraging to you wherever you are and draws you closer to Christ this week. We're in a series called Headlines and we want you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament. And as you're getting there, I want to let you know that yesterday my wife and I went to PBR, which is Pro Bull Riding. Anybody else go to PBR this weekend? Yeah, yeah, some weehaw, some whatever, right? So I don't know if you know this, but like my wife grew up on a sheep ranch and also had cattle on it uh, for her junior high and senior high years. And so I've been exposed. I've been, as a California guy, I've been exposed a little bit of the Western side of things. And it's pretty amazing because when we go, these bull riders, they have to like get on the bull, they have to hold the bull and then put the other hand in the air and they have to ride this mad, huge, large bull for eight seconds. They have to stay on and the thing is thrashing about and it's, I mean, like there's a whole science to it and how these athletes do it. I mean, they're going to walk bow-legged for the rest of their lives. They're going to be like having, you know, they're going to be like chief um, representatives of Advil forever, I think. But, but these guys ride these bulls and it's crazy because when you go, like the bull gets a score. If the bull like rocks really hard, it gets a score. And then the cowboy, as he's riding it, he gets a score for how he did. And they combine those two scores to actually get the score. And I don't know about you, but my wife cheers for the cowboys. I cheer for the bulls. And when that cowboy goes flying off, I'm like, get him! Get him! Like, you know, he's like scrambling away, crawling on all fours, trying to get away from a crazy bull. And there's, there's little uh, like clown kind of guys, but they, they are the protectors of the cowboy. And they come up and they distract the bull at their own risk of their lives so that the cowboy can, you know, get out of the way because he's been thrown off the bull. And the funny thing to me is that you have to stay on the bull for eight seconds, but nobody ever tells the bull. I'm sure all the bulls get back like, yeah, I chucked him off. How about you? Did you check him off? I did too. Did you check him off? I mean, this doesn't matter. Like the bulls don't know. They're just like, get off me now. And that's what happens. But in, it's amazing to watch. I'm sitting there in this arena last night at the Golden One Center. And it's just amazing because you got like this brand new, beautiful arena. And you might go watch basketball there or monster trucks or PBR or a concert or whatever you might go to. But you're in this massive arena and everybody in the arena is like cheering and it's, you know, your, your focus is right on what's happening there on the dirt or there on the court. And it's amazing. And it made me think that there was a day in history when people would be in an arena like that and they're standing around, they're cheering and Christians were thrown out there to wild animals like lions that they would just have no chance against. No defenses, no chance. And people will be yelling and screaming, but right on there, they'd be like, get him, get her, get that thing. And, they, and because they hated Christians so much, that kind of persecution was going on in Peter's day in the ancient world. And Peter is writing to Christians who are hated by the culture. People who are, are not only hated by the culture, but the emperor Nero is such a bad guy such an evil man that he's looked at it as being a God on earth and, and he takes it very personally. And so he does lives in the balance mean nothing to him. And so he would take Christians and he would have them crucified. He'd take Christians, he would throw them to the wild animals. He would take Christians and he would impale them on a pole and he put the pole outside and they would be lit on fire to light his residence and his palace and the areas leading up to it. He just didn't have a regard for human life and they were persecuted. And Peter is writing to people 
who are being persecuted like that. Things almost beyond our comprehension, and yet we live in a world where we see media where people are persecuted for their beliefs as well in our day. And Peter's writing to these people, and he's going to teach them, uh, how do we live? How do we live when we have like that kind of persecution going on? How should we be believers in Jesus when we're persecuted like that? And he's going to write to them and teach them, but also I think teach us how to have power in the years and the days that you have to live victoriously in the midst of hostility without losing hope or becoming bitter, to wait on the Lord and trust him as we're waiting on his second coming. And Peter starts writing out a headline and his headline would go out and it would read something like this, by living an obedient and victorious life under duress, a Christian can actually evangelize a hostile world. And he writes to the people, and in the first chapter, he gives kind of the theme of the book, and I'll take it from the message context for this sermon. It says this, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. But the people are like, yeah, but it might be very short. The future starts now, but it might just be days. It might be weeks. We don't know what the future holds. We're scared. And he's saying, listen, you have an inheritance in heaven that will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. God sees everything going on and he loves you. And so Peter last week left us with this command. If you have your outline, take it out. Write this in the blank. It says, don't mistreat those who mistreat you. He's talking to Christians and he's saying, we're being terribly mistreated but don't fall into the bear trap of the world. That is to give or turn about as fair play, to mistreat those who are mistreating you, to slander those who are slandering you, to show malice to those who are showing malice to you and to marginalize those who are marginalizing you. Don't do it. Don't fall into the trap of everyone else. You are a called out people. You are called out to be different. You are called out to be better. You're called out to be above. You're a citizen of heaven. He's saying, don't fall into that trap. And now he's gonna tell us what to do. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And let me just pause right there. The sinful desires he's talking about are not every sinful desire that a human could have. He's not just talking about any and every sinful desire that you or I might have. What he's been talking to in context is the sinful desire to give an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to revenge. If people have been wronged to you, that you wrong them back. It is what you and I have been taught from our earliest days in our culture. If someone doesn't respect you, if someone doesn't love you, if someone mistreats you, then you turn around and make sure you mistreat them so badly in some cases that they will never do it again, which rarely works. He says, abstain from that sinful desire. Avoid the bear trap. Avoid the trap of mistreating those who mistreat you. He goes on, he says, that wages war against your soul. Why? Because you're a new believer. He goes on, says, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We would probably agree that the more venomous and destructive that we become, the less and less our voices are heard and the more important message of the cause of Christ gets minimized, right? We see it in culture all the time. Someone's like, well, I thought I'd be correct and so I did something destructive and violent. Maybe they blew up a place or they you know, had violence against somebody and they're like, well, God told me to do it. <laughs> We're like, yeah, lowercase g. 
because God tells us to do something a little bit different here, the more venomous and the more destructive we get, the less our voices are heard and the more important message of Jesus Christ gets overshadowed by our lack of self-control. And you and I find it easy to lack self-control when it comes to matters of threat, when it comes to matters of being maligned. So Peter goes on, he says this in 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's what? Everyone say sake, sake, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority uh, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those to do right. So Peter comes along and he says, listen, I'm going to give you a new way. Instead of falling into the trap of mistreating those who mistreat you, I'm going to tell you, instead of doing that, you're going to do good. And part of doing good is that you're going to submit to the authorities that God has allowed over you, even bad ones. And submission to authorities was not a weird message in Peter's day. That was a regular message. People would tell people to submit. They would tell them to obey. They would tell them to do good. And those messages would go out, particularly from people who had title, people who had a position of authority, people who had leadership. They would basically say to the people under them, you need to submit, otherwise it's not gonna go so well for you. That was a regular message for people in Peter's day. 28 years ago, I went to Israel and, uh, in my college years. And while I was there, um, it had rained one day that we were visiting Caesarea Maritima. It's Caesarea. There's two Caesareas in Israel. One of them's by the sea. So this is the one by the ocean. So literally, you're right on the Mediterranean Ocean. It's beautiful. You got like waves coming in. It's like being right on the ocean here at, uh, in San Francisco or that kind of area. And you got these beautiful waves coming in. It is this gorgeous beachfront property. And they had built a large uh, palace there and they built all this other, these ruins out there. And we were looking at the ruins and just being like, wow, I can't believe all this stuff was like here or hidden or under dirt and it's been restored. And, and we kind of walk up and it rained earlier that day. We walk up on this long field and it's just this long, flat, level, straight beachfront property. And as we get up there, we look and we see some little uh, writing where um, some rain had washed away the dirt and we start to sweep it back. And I'll show you a picture. This is what it looks like. We start to sweep back and there's this beautiful mosaic right under the dirt, like right there. And in my mind, my mind is blown. Like who in the world, like how come they haven't uncovered this stuff? Like it's right here. Like aren't there funds to do the archeology span and just figure out what this is? And, and we kind of swept it back and we looked at it and it was just amazing. I mean, my mind was just blown. Like I can't believe that they haven't discovered this. And here it was just raining one day and we swept it back and discovered it. So I took a picture. Now, that's a print picture. Because back then we didn't have digital. So I took a picture. So last year in January, when Heather and I went to look at the trip that we would do this year, we were going back to Caesarea Maritima. So I thought, I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm going to see if I can find that same mosaic, right? So we go up there and sure enough, we get out there and it had been raining that day. And we get out there and it was, here it was. I looked all over. This whole area had been excavated. And I began to look at all these different places. Where is it? Where's the one that I took the picture of? And I had a copy of the picture with me on my phone. So I'm looking at it and I'm looking around for it. And I found it. I want to show you the picture. 
So there it is. It's been fully excavated, fully restored. It's a bathhouse. You can see this whole area is like a social center in Israel. And it's where you would go. It's beachfront property. You would go, you'd socialize. You might be in the bathhouse. You would relax. It'd be your spa day, whatever, right? So they're there and it's a beautiful thing. Let me show you a zoomed in photo of it. So there it is zoomed in, right? Just you know, perfectly restored. I'm holding up the picture. I'm taking this picture. I'm going side by side. They're the same. It's exactly it. And it's just, amazing. And we found some other stuff there as well. I'll show you a side-by-side here. This side-by-side shows some marble that I found at that time. We swept that back. And so here's a marble floor that's been restored. And here it is side-by-side. The, um, you see the, the mosaic as well. And it's just amazing. And it's Greek. And so I don't know if you tried to read that, but it's probably Greek to you. It was, uh, I took a lot of Greek. And, um, and I took a lot of Greek, but I took Greek in seminary after I was in college. So I had no idea really what it was saying. And, and uh, listen, it's been a lot of years. So let me just say, uh, the Greek can get shaky over the years. And so I, I tried to decipher it as best I could, and I couldn't totally get it figured out. So I contacted Craig Blomberg, Dr. Craig Blomberg, who's one of the foremost New Testament professors uh, in the entire nation, one of the most, you know, the deepest New Testament scholars. He teaches at Denver Seminary to this day. And I said, Craig, uh, you know, my, my Greek's a little shaky after all these years. What exactly does it say? Here's what I think it said. And he basically wrote back like, well, Dave, you were close, but yeah, all the rest is wrong. And he told me what that statement says. It says this, here's on the bathhouse floor. It's what it says. Do you not want to fear the one in authority? Do good and you will have praise for yourself. See what Peter's just said here is a common thought. It's a common thought. Do you not want to be afraid of those who are in authority over you? Then do good and you could potentially have praise for yourself. Now that's not guaranteed because in Peter's day, they may do good and still get thrown to the lion's. So how then are they going to live? And what's so different about what this says here on the mosaic compared to what Peter says here in God's word is Peter gives us the why. That just says, you wanna avoid punishment, then do good. Otherwise you're gonna get what's coming to you. But Peter tells us why. He said, it's for the Lord's what? The Lord's sake, that's right. So let me just say this like in a literal sense. Peter is saying, literally, for God's sake, respect and honor those that God has put in authority over you. He's really saying that. He's giving us the why. Why would God desire this? Well, Peter tells us, as he goes on in verse 15, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. In other words, what he's saying is, you're going to defer to God. God, in obedience to you, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to live in honor and respect of you. And I understand that when I respect those that you put in authority over me, and by doing good, it means I will silence the opposition. How do athletes silence the critics? How do other people silence the opposition? Well, athletes do it by letting their play talk. Let the play do the talking. And in some ways, Peter is saying, listen, that's the point. God wants you to do what you need to do to do the next right thing. And that's going to silence the opposition. One of the best ways you're going to silence the critics in your life is by doing the next right thing. And doing that over and over and growing in character, not being perfect, 
but growing in your character, growing in your inner man, growing in your inner woman. And by respecting those, he's saying live as free. Why are you free? Because you've come to Christ. You're free from being a citizen of earth because you now you're a citizen of heaven. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are not called the people, but now you're called the people of God. He's saying, you've got all this honor, all this respect, a new identity, a new association, but as a kingdom citizen, you're gonna do good. Some people ask, well, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? How do I know if I'm in the will of God? I mean, because, you know, people think like, I don't know if it's God's will. And they usually are thinking in terms of a decision or a relationship. Should they date a person or marry somebody or, or should they take a job or should they not take a job? How do I know if I'm in the will of God? Well, if you wanna know how to know if you're in the will of God, then you gotta read God's word. And God's word says, for it is God's will that by doing good, well, what's the byproduct? You and I will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We'll silence the opposition. It is God's will that you and I should do good. See, in a culture of loud voices, a culture of clashing opinions, a culture of hatred toward the opposition, Christians, we are in a powerful position to make a big difference in the world by showing respect to those in authority. Respect silences foolish opinions and speaks louder than the noise and the news. Peter is saying, you and I, we obey God and it is God's will for you to do good because it makes his message stand out. See, doing good doesn't guarantee your safety, but doing good makes the message of Jesus Christ stand out. But when you get lose self-control, when you get caught up in your opinion, when you get caught up in showing malice to those who show malice to you, then at that point, the message of Christ gets minimized. And he's encouraging us to walk like Jesus walked. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the who? Emperor. Honor. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor Nero. Honor the emperor who is responsible for the death of your loved ones and stands against every moral aspect you believe in and hold to. Honor the emperor. And people reading this are like, are you serious? And in our independent Western culture, some of us would cross our arms and go, well, it's not my emperor. But Peter would counter us and he would say, actually, under God's sovereignty, he is in fact in that position. Whether it's Nero or anybody else. It could be your boss, it could be your teacher, it could be a whole lot of people. That person is in a position of authority and we're to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a libertarian, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you are an independent. Peter is saying, honor the emperor and other authorities in your life. Every human authority. You say, seriously, like my teachers? Yes, honor your teachers. My boss? Yes. Honor your boss. The police? Yes, honor the police and first responders. The school board? Yes, the school board. Surely, surely he cannot mean honor 
the homeowners association. But yes, he's saying honor that too. Each time that you and I choose not to show honor, it's like you and I choose to be God. We're saying, God, God, I understand. I understand, God, I'm supposed to honor. I'm supposed to show honor to these people. I get it. But honestly, in this one, I don't think, God, you have all the information. Like you don't know all what they've done to me and you don't know what they believe in and you don't know how they oppose and marginalize me. And so, God, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and choose to be God and I'm gonna choose to make the rules and I'm gonna choose to let my voice and my opinion be heard without showing honor. Peter says... Fear God. Before he got to this phrase, honor the emperor, he said, fear God. And fear God, as we looked at last week, is not being afraid of God like a phobia, I'm scared of God. What it is is a holy respect. It's, a, it's an honoring of who God is and, and what he has done and how big he is and how amazing the God is who created the universe, the God who created the very sun that we get heat from. He created that thing. And we're saying, God, I'm going to honor you. That God, you just did it by speaking. You spoke that into being. I'm going to honor you, God. That's the God I'm going to honor. I'm going to respect you. We said the word there, the fear, God, is like the respect of sons for their dad when they're little, you know, that they just have this huge respect. My dad can do anything. It's having that honor and respect for our heavenly father. So he's saying that we respect God. And when I respect God, I obey his words. It's this picture that right behind the person that you're opposed to, it's like you just picture in your mind, Jesus is standing there right behind him. It might be your boss. It might be an authority in your life. It might be somebody else, but you're going, okay, okay, Lord. Lord, I'm looking beyond that person. I'm looking at you and Lord, in obedience to you, I'm gonna honor this authority figure in front of me. I'm gonna show honor because I don't wanna minimize your message, God. So number one on your outline, respect the office that leaders hold, even if you do not think highly of the leaders themselves. Respect the office, respect the title, respect the position, respect the office that they hold, even if you don't think highly of them. We live in a culture that basically says, well, I'm not going to show them honor or respect unless they earn my respect. But we want everyone else to show us respect and honor, whether we've earned it or not. We're a contradiction. But with those who are in authority, we kind of expect more of them. And so we're going to go, I'm not going to honor them unless they're worthy of honor, unless they've earned the honor. And God's saying, no, no, no. You honor them out of respect and honor for me. I'm perfect. I'm just. I've never done anything wrong. I am holy. I am righteous. There is no crack in my leadership or my authority. You honor me by honoring them. It's backwards. And the statement convicts us, doesn't it? I mean, Why? Because just being honest, I have not always done a good job of honoring presidents or governors or senators or judges or representatives or other officials. Now, I know by admitting that, some of you are shaking your head and being like, pastor, hmm, shame, shame on you, pastor, for not doing that. You're just, you're shaking your heads. And then you remember that I was at the game with you when you stood up and yelled a lot of profanities at the ref for like five minutes straight. And then you couldn't even let it go. And you had to talk about it all the way home. And you're worried about me showing honor or respect to those above us. It convicts us, doesn't it? All of us. 
Listen, when you look at the way Peter instructed Christians to live under the first Roman persecution, you begin to wonder, who am I to unintentionally mock the lives of the martyrs by crying persecution? I'm being persecuted when God has allowed us in our country to still have religious freedom. I mean, it's crazy how quickly our attitude just gets entitled. If God were to compare your attitude to those who were fed to animals or burned as torches, would he approve? No. I think God takes it very personally when you and I disrespect those in authority over us. It's not, is the authority living up to my standards, but how am I posturing and responding to the emperors God has allowed in my life? The real question is, do I trust God? God, do I trust you to work this out? Do I trust you to teach me how to live under oppressive leadership? God, will you teach me, and I'm not talking political terms, it might be your parent, it might be your spouse, it might be your, your boss at work. But God, that would you teach us how to live in a culture? Would you teach us how to live with messy people? Would you teach us how to live in a way that your message doesn't get lost, in a way that is powerful and instructive and follows what you did? The question really is, do I trust God? God, do I trust you that in your sovereignty, maybe you see some things that I'm not privy to yet because I can't see the future. But what I can see very clearly in your word is your instruction to me that how the people of God should live. So does that mean we're just a doormat? Nope, it doesn't. Let me suggest this to you. I wanna ask you this. Could your authority frustrations be a symptom or an indicator that perhaps you just don't trust God? When you get all frustrated with the system, when you get all frustrated with the man, when you get all frustrated with the parent, when you get frustrated with the boss, when you get frustrated with authority, could it really be an indicator in your life that you're moving away in some ways from trusting God to be God? And what happens then is you and I get off mission. You get off mission. That's why as a church, we just say, listen, we're gonna be laser focused, totally focused on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. It's forever about Jesus. That's what we're laser focused on. And all the time people come to me and say, you know, we should have a weekend that highlights this or we should have a weekend that highlights that. And my response is, we always have a weekend that highlights Jesus. He's everything. Anything else gets us off mission. And it doesn't mean we don't take a stand for what's right. We do, but we're gonna do it in the right way. So here's the thing, we can stand up for what's right, but in the right way. See, in your life, you can be correct and still not be right. You could argue with somebody who thinks very differently from you, but in your word choice, in your body language, in your mannerism, in your accusing, in your attacking, you're correct, but you're not right. Not relationally. In fact, you're wrong relationally. So you can be correct and still not be right. Peter is saying, with God's help, we stand as ones who are correct, 
but we got to do it in the right way. Let's play for a moment. Let's play. I'm going to make up a, uh, I'm going to make up for you today, a, a statute. And this statute reads this, quote, parading, demonstrating, marching, and the distribution of circulars, tracts, or other literature without first obtaining a permit is unlawful and punishable as a public nuisance. All right. So let's say that that was a statute in our culture. It's not, but I'm making it up. So let's just say it is, right? So, and it says again, doing all these things without obtaining a what? A permit, right? Is unlawful. It doesn't say you can't do them. It says there's a right way to do them. So let me just ask, suppose a march for human rights is organized and planned, but no permit is obtained. Would you march? Think about that for just a minute. We got a great cause. We all believe in human rights. Please, would we march? Well, a permit didn't get obtained. Something to think about. Suppose a permit was applied for, but it was denied. Well, we tried, we tried, but this, this you know, government right now, they're not gonna approve what we wanna do and they're not gonna do it. So we're just gonna bypass that thing. They denied us, but we're gonna march anyway. And maybe some of you are like, well, okay, I'm just gonna decide to go and hand out Christian literature anyhow because Christian literature is right, so I'm gonna hand it out, and so it's correct. And guess what? You would be correct, but you would actually still not be right. Do you follow? You can be correct and still not be right. So how do we do this? How do we understand what to do? In fact, I wanna challenge Peter's I want to challenge Peter's instruction here for a minute because we got to look back at Acts chapter 5 and find out, did Peter disobey and break his own instruction and commit civil disobedience in Acts chapter 5? So let's go back. Here's Peter in Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So here's the high priest. He is the top dog under the Old Testament law. He is a religious leader. He also has uh, public authority. He has uh, political, in a sense, authority. And they get called in to be questioned by the high priest. And he says this, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this what? Name. What name is that, by the way? Jesus, right? Don't teach in Jesus' name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Were they guilty of this man's blood? Yes, understand Jesus willingly went to be crucified. He could have easily defended himself. And then it says, who? Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so they have this discussion, they go back and forth, and then we pick up again in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They called the apostles back in after their discussion and had them flogged, which means whipped. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of who? Jesus, and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, Jesus' name, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So the question, they were ordered directly, do not do it. And they decided to do it. Well, in order to decide, did he break his own rule? In order to decide, did he commit civil disobedience? We need to look at how to govern and understand a Christian analysis of governing authorities. And it's right there in your outline. Follow along with me. 
First thing you and I would ask in a situation like this is, what does God's word command, if anything, about that topic? So you would look at God's word. Okay, there's an issue at hand. There's some, I need to know what God's word says about that issue. It might be the sanctity of life. It might be all sorts of things. And you're gonna say, what does God's word say about that? And you're gonna figure it out. For Peter, he's going, what did the word of God say about preaching in the name of Jesus? He's like, uh, you know what? I was there. I was there after the resurrection of Jesus, before his ascension into heaven, when he told us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So they have been given a commission, a direct command in the word of God and by the word of God. He knows straight up what they're asking me to do is against the word of God. He's checked that box. Second, what is, does obedience to God require disobedience of the law? I want to help you understand this. People may want to disobey the law because they want to and they feel passionately about something. But the real issue is, does it require them? So yesterday was National Holocaust Remembrance Day and there are millions of stories of people who broke the German law to hide away Jewish people so they wouldn't get sent off to concentration camps and killed. Breaking the law was a requirement because of the laws that were set up by men that were destroying God's people. So it required it. But so often what you argue for, what I argue for doesn't require disobedience to the law. Can the law be changed in some other way? Some other fashion? It could. The law could be changed another way. And last, have I sought God's will in prayer and am I willing to accept the consequences? Peter and the apostles, they knew about it. They knew God's word. They thought through these things. They went back, they sought the Lord in prayer and guess what? They were willing to suffer the consequences. So much so that when they got whipped, and let me tell you, Peter would be standing there going, on my back, are the scars and the marks of obedience to God's law over man's law. And I thought through these things. He didn't commit civil disobedience for sake. He was, he was obeying the law of God and he was willing to suffer the consequences. So they praise God, praise you God, which is, seems weird to people like praise you God that we were so honored to suffer like Jesus did. See, when you accept Christ into your life, you and I are dying to ourselves. We take up our cross. That's a death instrument. We die to ourselves daily and we begin to live for Christ. Well, part of being in God's will is that sometimes we're gonna share in the sufferings of Jesus. And when you go through hard times and when you go through persecution and when you're hated for the name of Christ and when you're ostracized and marginalized and when you're beaten for the name of Jesus, you are sharing in the sufferings of our Lord and Savior who did that for you and me because of our sin. We deserve the beating. We deserve the suffering. And he took it in our place. That's why they were praising him. Number three in your outline, honoring leaders, even bad ones, is part of our worship of God. It's part of our worship of God. He's going to use the word slaves here. And when he uses the word slaves, what he's saying is this. He's saying uh, in a modern culture, you'd be saying, he's going to 
talk about slave and masters, um, but what he's going to talk about here is saying, if you are a slave, you could put in employee or you could put in child to a parent, employee to a boss. You could put in a citizen to the governing authorities. You could just put those in for what it says here. It says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Saying, that's commendable to you. That's good. If you have unjust suffering and you endure it and you bear up under it in respect and honor of God, you're looking past the position who represents your authority and you're saying, I see Jesus behind you. And out of reference to Jesus, deference to Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor and I'm going to submit to this even bad leader. It's showing honor to God. He goes on and says this, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Okay, <laughs> right? So if you did wrong and you got fired, well, that's on you. I'm just saying, right? There's no applause for that. Like, good job, good job. No, you just show honor, you show respect. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, what? Steps. And then Peter, I think he changes the tone as he's writing this book. I almost could hear him in, in hushed tones being like, listen, I was there. You have no idea what this cost him. You have no idea what it was like. And you could say as he was continuing to write that he almost changed his tone. He goes back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He begins to quote this Old Testament passage. It's a prophetic passage pointing forward to the suffering of Jesus, the Messiah. And he's appealing to other Jewish people and other Christians who are now following Christ. And he's saying, listen, let me take you back to the prophecy about Jesus. And in almost a hushed tone, he begins to write this. He says, quote, he committed no sin. He was like, I was there. I lived with him for three years. He never sinned. There was no deceit was found in his mouth. That's Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. And I saw it firsthand. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he quotes again Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Quote, by his wounds you have been healed. End quote. By God's wounds you and I have been healed. Verse 25, he quotes again. For you were like sheep going astray. And he stops his quote and he ends it with this statement. He says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He didn't say the shepherd and overseer of your lives because their lives were at stake. Their lives are being taken. He's saying you're entrusting yourself to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul, the thing that lives on beyond the death of your rental body, your soul. That's who you entrust yourself. And he's a just judge. He's never gotten it wrong. He's perfectly holy. He always judges justly. He always has all the information. You'll never surprise him with understanding. He understands the thoughts and intentions of your heart and their heart. He always judges correctly. And that's who I'm entrusting myself to as I continue to do right. You and I are to follow in Jesus' steps. He didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats. He entrusted himself to God who always judges justly. So remember, the sin to avoid was don't mistreat those who mistreat you. That's the, the bear trap that your foot is hovering over and could just stomp down into, but you're going to get caught. 
That's what the whole world does. That's what everybody's gonna do. Don't do that. Instead, the command is this, submit yourselves to every human authority for the Lord's sake. Literally, for the sake of the message of Jesus Christ. For God's sake, God's people, submit ourselves to human authority. Let's help this get real for a moment. Life's not about us, it's about God and his glory. So according to God, what silences the ignorant talk of foolish people? What silences the opposition? The answer is doing good. Doing good. And part of doing good is submitting ourselves and showing honor to those who are in leadership above us. As way of application on your outline, this is time for you personally. And what I want you to do is answer the question. I want everybody to write something in that blank. As you, we've been talking this morning, as God's Holy Spirit has been stirring your mind and your heart, what leader or authority do you know that you need to honor? It might be that teacher. It might be that boss. It might be husbands and wives showing honor and respect to one another. It might be kids to parents. But what leader or authority do you need to honor? Listen, we get caught up in the world doing everything and trying to make our case right and trying to do it. But I wanna just say, if you and I were to go through our social media and look at the ways that we have dishonored, disrespected, maligned, slandered people in authority over us, we should be ashamed. Because as the body of believers, we're called to something so much greater. As a body of believers, we are called out to be different from our world. We are called to be correct and be right. But what happens so often is we get jumping into being correct and we're not right relationally and we're not right in honoring God by honoring the leaders that he's put above us. What a beautiful aroma, a fragrance it is when God's people give respect and give honor and bring value to their culture. I wanna say why I'm so proud of Sun Grove Church. I'm so proud of this church because so often you step up to love the community. Like Elk Grove is a better place because of Sun Grove Church. India and Africa and soon to be China are better places because of Sun Grove Church that all over this world that we just reach to those who don't know Jesus. And, but we also bring value to very real needs. We're compassionate to real needs and we bring value to those and we serve our community. And it's one of the ways that Sun Grove Church has a high respect in our community. But could you imagine how much influence the, not the reputation of a church would have, but the reputation of Jesus would have if we showed honor to those who are in authority over us, even when they know they're wrong or we know they're wrong. What would it like for you and I to show honor to those who are in authority? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, then right now, this is just your time to come before God, to humble yourself and say, God, it is hard for me, but I have got to love and honor people like you did. I've got to show honor. But there's those of you in this room that you've never come under the authority of God. You've just always been your own authority. 
and your own authority has led you to make mistakes. Your own authority has led you to sin. Your own authority has caused you to bring some grief into your life or even worse, it has caused you to be self-sufficient where you say, I don't need anybody or anything. I don't need God. And the reality is you are naked, you are poor, you are destitute in your soul. And maybe today you need Jesus and you wanna enter a relationship with him. If that's you today, then right where you're seated, you pray a prayer like this right after me. Just pray it in your seat. God hears you in your heart. He will hear you. He created you. He knows your soul. Pray something like this. Jesus, I honor you as the ultimate authority. I believe you are God, that you died for my sin, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life and conquered death. I ask you to come into my life and become so real to me, Jesus. Wash me as white as snow. Forgive me of all my sins, wipe them away because today I give you me. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast with Sun Grove Church. We hope it was really encouraging for you in your walk with Christ and that you have some things to apply moving forward, some inspiration for the present and some hope about what God is doing in your past. We're so grateful to be doing life with you. We would love to be connected as part of the global community of believers and to encourage you in your walk with Christ. You can find that at www.sungrove.org or on social media at Sungrove Church.